guys, Anahit here, and welcome again to Viva La Flora Live podcast. Today's guest is Deborah Prenzing, a writer, speaker, leading advocate for American-grown flowers, and a co-podcaster. Her podcast, Slow Flower Podcast, if you don't know it, you should definitely check it out on iTunes or whatever you listen to your podcasts at. Um, she is a truly force of nature. She has started Slow Flower Movement, um, and through her Slow Flower branded project, she definitely stimulated conversations um, nationwide amongst all professionals about how to make conscious choices about their floral purchases and also how to support the local uh, local farmers, right? She has been given multiple awards. In 2016, she was honored by Grower's Choice Award um, at Seattle um, Wholesale Growers Market for her outstanding contribution to revitalizing the local floral community. Her how impressive is that, right? Um, in 2018, she was a recipient of an American Horticultural Society's Grand American Gardeners, um, Great American Gardeners, uh, Frances Jones Poetker Award, which recognized her significant contribution to floral design in publications. Now, she has published multitude of books, right? I think total of ten, including Slow Flower, um, Slow Flowers, and Fifty Mile Bouquet. She also has been contributing a lot to multitude of magazines, including Florist Review, where she actually is a contributing editor and currently is producing Slow Flower Journal section. Now, she one of the coolest things that I think um, Deborah has created is American Flower Week, right? That showcases the American growers. And it launched on a uh, week of 4th of July in 2015. I guess it couldn't have been at a better timing, right? That being said, I'm going to stop talking. We're going to jump right into this interview with Deborah Prenzing. On the top of the show, I told everyone about your professional bio, but I do want to dive into it in your words, actually. Just tell us a little bit about you, where it all began, and then we'll, you know, get into it deeper. Great. Uh, so we're on now? Oh, yes, you're on. Okay, great. <laughs> so weird being on the other side of the microphone. I'm excited <laughs> you're on the other side of the microphone because I think you have so much to share. Well, thank you, first of all, for um, inviting me to uh, come on the Viva La Flora podcast. I'm excited for you because uh, it's it's a big opportunity to uh bring new voices and new ideas mm -hmm. to your community. And um, I encourage you to just keep going with your podcast. It's a, it's a great platform uh, for sharing ideas. And mm -hmm. my background in how I got to starting Slow Flowers is kind of convoluted, but I think we all have a sort of nonlinear paths uh, just as creatives. Um, I was in the home and garden space. I was a, a journalist. I mm -hmm. wrote for publications like Better Homes and Gardens and Sunset and Fine Gardening mm -hmm. and Garden Design and also for major newspapers, uh, most most uh, specifically the Los Angeles Times. And I was writing about architecture and interior design mm -hmm. and landscape design. And somehow during that path over two decades of that career, mm -hmm. I I always loved flowers and I always grew flowers um, as a gardener. But mm -hmm. I didn't really quite connect the dots that there was a industry of flower farming even that even existed. I don't know what I thought okay. other than going to like, you know, the occasional tulip festival that was held in, you know, in the spring in, in my state in Washington. Mm -hmm. And so I, um, I started meeting flower farmers up and down the West coast. I lived in Washington, but then I moved to LA. And so I was kind of covering the, the vibrant horticulture scene up and down the West coast. And I, started in about 2006 meeting uh, people who were growing cut flowers right. for, and mainly for the farmer's market mm -hmm. uh, uh, sort of channel. And then increasingly, I, especially when I moved to California for four years, I started meeting large farms that were growing cut flowers commercially and right. everything in between. And all of a sudden as a gardener, I became, I guess, just a, a all my senses were, you know, on fire, just being excited about this beautiful product and starting to understand that 
where it's uh, coming these, from. Yeah, these flowers were grown domestically. So why right. were we, you know, why were we not celebrating them and supporting them and getting their story out? And mm-hmm. I, I, I told you I was a journalist, but in uh, I did have a big chapter in my life um, in the 90s where I was a uh, business reporter for our local uh, Business Weekly here in Seattle. And so I ah. also had that, I had that kind of point of view, like, how can you make a living at this? How can you sustain right. a, a business? And I ran away from that profession when I went into home and garden writing. And it mm-hmm. kind of coincided with having my second child and realizing I, I had to create a freelance life for myself. Right. Uh, I was also very sick of dot-coms and CEOs at that point and mm-hmm. um, was happy to leave business writing behind. Yeah. And here I am. Here I am full circle now telling the stories of wow. small business owners, flower farmers and florists. And I'm fascinated with how they build their businesses and how mm-hmm. they create create their marketing platforms and who that what their channels of, of uh, lines of business are. So I'm kind of full circle back to what I thought I wanted to get away from. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I learned through writing and uh, I learned by uh figuring out what the story is. And so in the course of my education and, and kind of transition from being a garden writer to somebody in the, in the floral marketplace, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. started, I started interviewing, um, these amazing people that I was meeting who were growing gorgeous, sweet peas that were super ephemeral, fragrant, mm-hmm. delicate, uh, like unlike anything I'd ever seen before. And I was dragged in. I fell down the rabbit hole willingly right. uh, because I love flowers so much. So that's sort of where where I first started questioning this whole flower industry and mm-hmm. and why why wasn't I seeing um, the flowers available to me that I knew these farmers were growing. And right. I, you know, I learned by interviewing and, and, and when I interviewed flower farmers, then I found out that they had customers who were basically people like you, florists. And so right. I was enchanted by that whole side of the story mm-hmm. and to, together my interest in the floral design side and the flower farming side kind of came together and unbeknownst to me I was developing the framework for a community called Slow Flowers and mm-hmm. and because I think like a journalist and not like a business person I didn't have a grand strategy um, but I I think a lot of us land on what we are passionate about Right through through emotion and not logic, and uh, for me that's what happened. I I wrote a book called The Fifty Mile Bouquet, which mm-hmm. came out in 2012, which was really my way of getting to tell stories about these amazing flower farmers I was meeting, and then the floral designers who were kind of at the forefront of the sort of local movement. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, through that book, I then started working on a second project, which I was calling slow flowers, um, kind of as a shorthand. I, I, I wanted to do a project where this was in 2011. I started Mm -hmm. this, I wanted to do a project where I would create a bouquet every week from what was growing in my garden right? and blog about it. And there was nothing more than that because I was just going to take the photos, design an arrangement and take the photos myself and, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. very low tech. And happened to mention it to my publisher who who published the Fifty Mile Bouquet, and right. he's like, "That's a book. Let's do it as a book." And right. uh, he said, "What do you want to call it?" And I said, "I don't know. Um, Fifty two weeks of local flowers." And he said, "That is the stupidest title. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a nineteen eighties self help book." You and I, and I and you know that's what publishers make the big bucks, right? They they of get course. to choose a title. Of course. And I said, "I don't know, Paul." Um, I've been using this phrase, slow flowers. What do you think? He's like, bingo, that's, that's a good book title. So I give Paul Kelly of St. Lynn's press the credit for giving slow flowers life as a book. Mm -hmm. And that, that book came out in 2013 and that led to the podcast Mm -hmm. starting, uh, a little bit later that year. In fact, I think the podcast we're coming up on our sixth anniversary. We just Next week will be our, uh, which will be May 1st, we'll have our 300th episode uh, oh, wow. air. So it's taken on. It's a milestone. Uh, uh, well, and a big role in my life and in, mm-hmm. in connecting with people all over all over the country uh, who are interested and globally, actually, who are interested in right. the slow flowers topic. So from that, you know, I just um, try to figure out what is slow flowers. And I've come up with kind of a... Uh, a shorthand 
elevator pitch about what it is and then something longer, which I call the the slow flowers manifesto. But basically slow flowers is really focused on sustainable practices in farming and floristry and a thoughtful way of, uh, spending our money in the floral marketplace, either right. as a, a, on the B2B side and the B2B and the B2C side for the consumer. Right. Um, so now it's, it's become this um, term that is uh, kind of poured through my fingers like water. I can't control it anymore. It's just got a life of its own and it's exciting. We, I just did the analysis on the hashtag use and in the last 365 days, uh-huh. um, 70 million impressions of slow flowers have been oh, used as a hashtag. My goodness. Yeah. You, my yeah. friend, have become an influencer. Well, slow flowers is definitely an influencer. I, well, I have just you I'm are hanging part on of to flowers. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm part of it. And yes. uh, I'm a real I'm I'm kind of the keeper of the of the of the mission. So Yes. It's fun, yeah. Wow, you've touched on so many things that I want to go back to. It, 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 yeah, it's um, so so the elevator elevator pitch we just heard. So I want I do want to dive in deeper because it seems like there's a bigger connection into slow flowers or the sustainability besides just this is cool, you know. And uh, right. right to me, it feels like farming is one of the hardest businesses to sustain. I mean, yes. my God, you, you, you're pretty much fighting Mother Nature on all fronts all the time. It's so interesting that you say that because it's, there's sort of a romanticized yes. um, visual narrative of flower farming on Instagram right now. And, yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the classic photo of the, the cute millennial farmer with like armloads of flowers just spilling out over their, you know, shoulder or yeah. out of their arms. Um, and behind that is a lot of, a lot of work. hard work. Yes. Uh, a lot of sweat and tears. tears. Yes. Yep, exactly. Yes. And some, and some of those people are being very forthcoming about that and showing the, you know, no makeup hair, you know, bad hair day, right. crunchy side of, of, of their, of their work. But right. there's no denying that beauty sells. And so of course, of course that's yeah. what we're seeing, um, behind that's at the front of the story. The back of the story is the hard work. And you know, I frankly, I've interviewed many people and had many people in Slow Flowers say, I tried it and it's, I can't, I can't make my business work growing. I just want, I have so much appreciation now yeah. and, res- and respect for the growers that I want to build my business on the Slow Flowers platform, but right. I want to do it by buying from these farmers and supporting I, them. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'll be on the buying side of that because, <laughs> no, seriously, the thought of doing that as a business terrifies me. I have about an acre land, but it's all woods because we uh-huh. back up a park. So, uh-huh. you know, I've got so much deer that I grow everything on on the deck. Right. And even that... <laughs> is a chore, my goodness, to just grow a couple of herbs and a few flowers. I cannot possibly imagine doing that as a business and, and stressing over that. I mean, we travel quite a bit, so I actually have to pay somebody to come and water my a few little herbs for me, you know? Absolutely. Be- because yeah. they're, I feel like they're my babies and, you know, it's just, it's just really weird. But then, yeah, doing that as a business, like I said, I mean, I'll be on a buying side and I'll be supporting that full on but there is right. no way I can take that on as a business it is tough well that's okay because not everybody can be a flower farmer because flower Absolutely. farmers flower farmers need clients so I feel like there's a lot of what's beautiful is the interdependence and the collaboration mm-hmm. that we're seeing re- return to the marketplace uh I know when I was a kid in um the 60s and 70s there my little town in Massachusetts had a flower shop mm-hmm. that that was attached to a greenhouse and the florist was growing really cool stuff in that greenhouse right. for, you know, right there in, in Hamilton, Massachusetts. But for many, many reasons, that model disappeared uh, primarily over right. the course of uh, the changes in our, our trade policy and the changes in the cost of, of running a retail store. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the advent of the internet, all these things. And so 
I think that that generation was skipped. Yeah. Uh, and now the floral, it, the floral professionals are saying we value, uh, knowing who's growing our product wherever they are in the world, not just in the U S but we want to have more information about who's producing this product and, and what practices are being used and that sort of thing. Right. And being it done in a way so that it is not killing the world Mm -hmm. per se. Right. So Mm -hmm. yes, no, that's, uh, absolutely that. Yeah. Well, um, I know you wrote, I think 10 books, right? Is what I read. Yes. Yes, I have. Yeah. Mainly in the garden space. Right. Um, before I did the 15 Mile Bouquet and mm-hmm. Slow Flowers, I primarily was writing uh, for for home gardeners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I had one fabulous architecture book called Shed Style, or actually Stylish Sheds and Elegant Hideaways. I can't believe I can't even remember the name of it. But it was about <laughs> it was about the architecture of garden sheds, and right. that was I thought that that was going to be my Truly, I thought that was going to be my platform going forward professionally. That came mm-hmm. out in two, 2008. But in 2008, the real estate market crashed. and mm. um, It became people, a luxury item. Yes, exactly. People were just trying to hang out of their houses. They weren't thinking about adding a, like a, a – like a, a, a she shed or a right. you know p- pavilion in their backyard. So that was one of those things. But um, in a way, I'm glad that, that I've – found flowers about the same time because I'm not an architect and I'm not uh, a builder. I, I can point to a shed and say, isn't this magnificent? And here's why, and here's the story, but I'm not going to actually be an authority on sheds. Of course. Whereas <laughs> with flowers, like I know how to grow flowers, obviously on a very micro scale. Mm-hmm. I, I know their seasonality. I know their habit and their form. And I have like a little bit more uh, confidence in talking with mm-hmm. authority on flowers than I ever did about about the architecture side of things. Yeah, no, I I admire what you do. Actually, I really truly do. Um, and I have to say, this, this is going to sound ignorant, but when I first heard about slow flowers years back, right, I was like, mm-hmm. what is that? I right, had, right. I, I had no idea, um, and I truly didn't know anything about it. And you know, read a little bit. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. And then more and more I started reading about it. I started listening to the podcast because I had this idea of doing a podcast about four years ago. Then life mm. happened. Then eventually, thank God, finally this is happening. I'm so Good. excited, right? But that being said, that's how I sort of landed where I landed. And I started, you know, learning more about this. I'm like, this is actually, this is fascinating. And not only this is fascinating, but this is actually really important, you know? Thank you. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it, it's beyond hey, this is cool, right? This is fascinating. This is interesting. I think it is very important because well, there's a big awareness right now about the whole sustainability, you know, um, which I think this, you came in at a perfect timing with a perfect platform. And I cannot tell you how many floors that come across now that whether they heard about soul flowers or not, but they're very conscious about things, right? Right. So, it's like, oh, wow, that's that's really exciting. And, I mean, I was one of those people 10 years ago. I'm like, I have no idea what we're talking about. Okay, cool. <laughs> you know, but now well, it's very it, different. Yeah, and I think that really the marketplace has, has shifted along mm-hmm. with our understanding because when I first started, you know, writing about – when I started working on the 50-mile bouquet book, which was mm-hmm. in, like, 2010, right. I – I thought that the sexy nugget in this whole conversation was organic flowers. I thought mm-hmm. organic I thought organic flowers were was going to be the next wave. Right. Um and it took a couple years of uh, just research and, and interviewing hundreds of people to understand that really the more powerful uh concept that's capturing people's imagination is local and seasonal. Right. Uh for many reasons. I mean many people are are who have lo- are selling or growing and selling local and seasonal flowers are growing with organic practices, mm-hmm. but but their their customers are already assumed that they're using green practices because they're local, and it's kind of an interesting f- upside down way of thinking about it. But a lot of that also happened because uh, it's very hard for flower farmers to become certified at, by the USDA as certified organic. Where, oh, absolutely. Uh, yes. Harder than food, harder than food growers. So it, the, 
yeah. the barriers were, were making it difficult. And so mm-hmm. people just started st- dropped the term and started right. saying that they were using sustainable practices or, or natural practices. And um, that became the backdrop to mm-hmm. local and seasonal, but local and seasonal kind of popped up to the, to the surface as a more, I guess, more relevant to m- more people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. I mean, I cannot imagine a rose farm or having a rose farm without any sort of a, you know, pesticide. I mean, it's just, you just, it, it, you can't do it. I mean, well, you can, but you're going to end up with a product that, that the consumer doesn't want because it's going to have imperfections in it, you know, a lot more than, I guess, the bride really wants in her bouquet, right? So, <laughs> it's, you know, that's such a, that's, it, I, I, I agree that that's the problem. Um, I know some amazing rose growers here in the U.S. who are using, growing garden roses, um, mm-hmm. who are, have very, very low Mm-hmm. if any chemical inputs, but yeah, they're, they're not able to be certified organic. So they, right. they say that they're using sustainable practices and, um, right. but you know, you're talking about something also, which is perception of beauty. And of I think perception of beauty has changed, mm-hmm. um, a little bit as the aesthetic that the design community is kind of, ref, you know, you, is represented by designers who are choosing local product because your designs change when you're using uh, non-uniform flowers, uh, maybe more kind of wild looking, meadow looking tendrils, vines, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. seed heads. And and so it's, it's sort of like they, they are coming from two sides to this center of Mm -hmm. the product is a little more irregular and the aesthetic is becoming a little looser. Mm -hmm. And that, that that's just in the current zeitgeist. It could change for sure. I, I, uh, but for this moment that, that seems to be compatible. Right. No, absolutely. I mean, I do think it's actually changing already. Um, slightly, I think it's getting a little bit tighter as far as, Mm -hmm. you know, especially bouquet styles that I'm seeing. Do I think it's going to become big, roundy-moundy spheres of perfect flowers? No, I don't think we're going to go there. I hope we don't go there, <laughs> you know. Right. But, but it is definitely changing. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the whole uh, loose garden style definitely definitely brought more awareness to, hey, the nature is not perfect, right? It's not going right. to be like every single flower is not going to look identical. It, you're not. It just doesn't happen that way, you know. But yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think it is coming from both ends, and uh, it's it's exciting to see, for sure. Right, because as more florists are choosing to source um, from small scale farms, mm-hmm. then that gives the the farmers the confidence to invest in more seeds and bulbs and and land, and mm-hmm. um, you know, because a lot of it is just speculative. It's like, you know. Jack and the beanstalk, you have a magic bean and you right. put it in the ground and you hope it's going to create a revenue for you and the pot of gold. Uh, right. But it's a lot of it is, there's a high level of risk. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm actually, um, in two weeks, I'm visiting a local farm. We're doing a podcast interview and I'm visiting their farm. Actually, I'm very excited. They're only oh, three hours wow. away from me. So. Oh, I'm excited to know who that is. Harmony Harvest, actually. Oh, um, yeah. A, Jessica. Uh, yes, I'm I've, visiting them. <laughs> so excited. Oh, yeah. I've had Jessica and her mom on the podcast uh, a couple yeah. years ago. And they, they've done, they, so much has happened since then. It'll be great to get an update. I'm looking yeah. forward to hearing that. I'm dying to go to their farm. I mean, they've got this gorgeous poppies, ranunculus, and just area. I don't know what else. I mean, it's just every time they're posting anything, I'm just like swooning over this stuff. So yes, I'm visiting their farm actually um, in a couple of weeks. Oh, but um, one of the things that I'm, I'm absolutely dying to get behind is the actual work that goes into that beautiful picture that we see on Instagram, you know, that yep. gorgeous poppy that they put out there, right? Um, but yeah, I, I have no idea what to expect. That it'll be my first farm to visit. So yeah. oh, I'm so glad you're going to have a great time. Oh, and, you know, it's so I'm so glad you're doing that on a heat because um, I just I just feel that there's this perception in the general marketplace mm-hmm. that um, why are flowers uh, so expensive or if I'm buying from the farmer, shouldn't they be cheaper? Oh, and, you know, yeah. the, the, the <laughs> wedding, the wedding wire type website blogs and the, the not they have certainly perpetuated this wrong notion that that a little bit yeah save money if you buy from the farmer and and 
Mm-mm. you know, the opposite is the truth. The farmer needs more of your money <laughs> because they're growing a couture product that is it, artisanal. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, so, there's also so, quantity versus quality kind of thing mm-hmm. going on. I mean, there's large or rose farms or whatever flower farms, like, you know, let's say in Ecuador or whatever, that they produce amazing product. But some of these farms supply the entire world right so they're able to grow this at a at a rate and and buy their seeds or their bulbs or whatever it may be at a lower cost than a local farmer would because their volume is not compatible to that so you can't quite so yeah at the end of the day it ends up being higher cost and they are buying more premium product because you know that's what their local florists are striving for they're not looking for just a regular tulip that they can go and buy at a grocery store you know they're looking for a pair of tulip or something right. a little bit more special but yeah no I, I totally agree with you actually buying from local farms my experience has been it is definitely a little bit more expensive however the freshness of the product does not touch it you know right. it's just, right. just you can't t- it's so much better product you know and it lasts longer it does better. I mean, at the end of mm-hmm. the day, I stress less, right? right. When they're locally um, harvested flowers. And I know it was cut literally today, the morning off or the day before I put it in a bucket. And yep. to me, exactly. it wasn't dry packed, it wasn't in a cooler, <laughs> you know. So you're, you're saying all those benefits that, um, that really um, are, they're invisible benefits. They're really hard yeah. to sell. Yeah. And the more that you can share that with your uh, clients, be it a, a, a wedding, you know, a couple or an mm-hmm, event mm-hmm. Uh, client, you know, maybe they'll listen. And maybe the next time they go to the farmer's market, they won't freak out when they see, you know, a $20 bouquet versus a, you know, wishing it was only $10. So right, I think, right. I think it, it really is the floral professional is kind of the linchpin on helping change the mindset of consumers. Mm-hmm. Uh, for sure. And, you know, yesterday I went to a presentation at the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market mm-hmm. here in Seattle where I live. And the the breeders from Sakata Seeds were there, uh, including people who came over from Japan. Uh-huh. And and Sakata basically is the top seed provider of uh, all of the amazing lisianthus that are out in the marketplace now. Those, those brown ones, those taupe oh, ones, those, you yes. know, champagne ones, uh, the ones yes. that we're just freak out over and they were there to educate the local flower farmers and florists involved Mm -hmm. with the Seattle growers market and just talk about uh, the number of the varieties and what their attributes were Mm -hmm. in terms of Mm -hmm. the breeding. And at the end of the day, everyone is of course like, chomping at the bit to get like, when can we get local Lysianthus? Because in Seattle right now, we can get California Lysianthus that Uh is from Sakata seed. But it's, you gotta wait till July to get it locally. However, mm. the I was so confused by like how does this seed get from this breeder in Japan to my friend Vivian Larson at Everyday Flowers who's growing it up here in Washington State, and they explained to that the seeds go to a seed broker, and from the seed broker the huh. seeds are sold to a plug company, and then the plug company creates grows the little starts and then the starts get sold to the farmer and then the farmer has six months before the product is harvested and sold so you're looking at almost a 12 month uh oh journey from that seed to flower with a lot of middlemen holding their hands out to take a penny or two off of every transaction wow. maybe more and no wonder it's a premium product but how do you explain that to a bride who to says why can't yeah. you just get my can't i just get my roses at costco and you know save a save money and you know it's just it's so complex well you know it is it is I agree with you and our industry as a whole growers florists and I feel like it starts more or less from florists because we are the ones who directly communicate with the consumer a lot closer than a grower does right Mm -hmm. but it's it's so misunderstood and in a way that a lot of florists are afraid of educating their customer I think I think so too, but I, just, I feel I feel like it's just back to that risk. Like you have to put your you have to put your um, priorities in place right. and build your brand off of who you are and what you stand for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and it, and I see that people are doing it, but I I do feel like they need to re- be reassured that this is not going to 
you know, well, I don't know, go, go under, they're not going to go under by doing it, I guess. Right. Well, and there's lack of confidence too, uh, to a degree. I mean, I think, you know, knowledge is power, right? I, mm-hmm. the, the, the thing that you just shared about the seed, I, I had no idea that it went through so many hands. You yeah. Know, I, I, I knew there were a couple at least, right. But I did not, I could not possibly have imagined that that's what it was. I would have thought that the production starts from whatever that seed is, right? It goes right, to the farmer. To the farmer. Exactly. <laughs> right. That's it. And the farmer right. does the rest. So that's that's how I kind of would think about that. But thinking about, you know, doing it in a way of mass production and providing the world with this, not just one little farmer, right? Um, or big farmer for that matter. I mean, I did not know that. I mean, and there's no way of me educating my client if I didn't know about this, which is why I'm right. saying you my friend are an influencer and I'm so happy <laughs> you're doing what you're doing because this is important to share this. I mean, you ultimately would be the one educating the growers, right? Yes. I'm sorry, the florists right. and the florists would be then the ones educating their customers. So then, you know, I mean, I feel like it just, it, it absolutely helps. Yeah. It's just, a, it's just a slow process. And it um, is, yeah. I, what I feel like slow flowers really does best is create this, uh, cross section mm-hmm. where uh, this hub where farmers and florists can learn from each other, right. uh, because that is that's the B two B side of slow flowers. When I started the directory, which is sort of my, I thought that was going to be the the product. Um, when I started the directory, which uh-huh. was uh, launched in two thousand fourteen, um, I. Th- totally thought it was a a B2C model. Like, okay, everybody's going to join and list their business on Slow Flowers and Mm -hmm. it's a searchable tool that consumers can use for free and that the user was the consumer. Mm. And and yes, that's definitely a big part of it. But what I'm so delighted about that has happened Mm -hmm. organically is this B2B model where someone joins Slow Flowers who's a florist and then, then he or she will use the tool to find all the growers, you know, in in that region or state. Yeah. And a farmer who's new can find the slow flowers sort of minded, like the more sustainably oriented florist in their marketplace that they can approach. Mm -hmm. And so there's this like, you know, not that I I can't guarantee people will do business with each other, but I think that there's this receptivity Mm -hmm. to at least opening the door and having that conversation because people are kind of, they're already like hardwired to want to do business in a sustainable way. And, um, that, that community, then the farmers can learn so much from the florist and the smart farmers are, you know, and Jessica, when you mentioned Jessica at Harmony Harvest, she is a floral designer also. So she's kind of a, an interesting hybrid, but the farmers who don't do floral design, they need to find the designers who will take the time to say, no, we don't want, you know, we don't need primary colors. We want soft muted colors. And, right. you know, we don't, you know, we don't need the biggest sunflower head. We actually like the delicate multi-branching ones because right. they're more in scale with our bouquets. You know, all of that education yes. uh, comes back to benefit the florist if mm-hmm. they are able to find farmers who will listen oh, and absolutely. drink up that knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. No, I absolutely. It is a two-way street, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. No, mm-hmm. that that was yeah, that was brilliant. Um, I want to read a quote actually. That was when I was reading about you. That came across. That is your favorite quote. That after <laughs> okay. I read, I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure a lot of people would relate to this. I'm sure a lot of people are so in tune with this, um, and I think it actually summarizes a lot of things we talked about. So mm. it is. If you are privileged to own a plot, a plot of land, it is your duty both to God and man to make it beautiful. Mm. Right? I mean, from, Be- from the British uh, writer Beverly Nichols, who was a man, actually. Uh, yeah, you know that I, I Beverly Nichols was a garden writer in mm-hmm. the um, early part of the 20th century, and mm-hmm. and a kind of a kind of a. Um, a gadfly type of character and, mm-hmm. you know, did all kinds of scandalous things, but, um, wrote with a lot of opinion. And when I was reading his, his books were reissued by Timber Press about mm-hmm. a decade ago. And when I was reading that uh, somehow in one of the essays that came out and I thought, you know, that is, that 
is at its essence why right. we why we grow things, right? Yes. Yes. We we are all in search of creating our own little gardens of Eden or our own little alhambras. Like we want to recreate <laughs> yes. paradise, right? True. Um, we're kind of hardwired to do that, and so uh, yeah, I I feel like um, I have a moral duty to grow a beautiful garden. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so. I tell I, my husband that at least when I come over in the nursery. I, okay, I have a funny story. So there's a, speaking of that, so yes, I totally understand that. So, okay, there's a very good nursery near us that's closing. It's a family-owned business, has been there for, I think, 50 years or something ridiculous like that. So they're actually closing their doors completely because – Sounds like none of the children want to take over the business and they've been working on some retirement plan for four years and I just found out about it. So, of course, my immediate reaction, I got to go there because that was the place that I went to buy my unique flowers, right? I bought my passion flower, edible passion flower from there, all my herbs and, you know, everything else. In any case, so before I went there, I'm talking to my husband. I'm like, so Aaron, so this is happening, this is happening, this is happening. So, and he looks at me and goes like, okay, so how much is this going to cost us? <laughs> With this like terrified face. I'm like, well, I don't know yet. Well, let me, let me just go and figure this out or whatever, yeah. you know? And then I came home, I'm all excited and he's not home. I called him about something and he's like, so did we break the 2000? I'm like, well, no. He's like, oh, good news. 1500? Well, no. Oh, great news. A thousand. And we're just going down. I'm like, well, he's like, well, I'm shocked. What happened? I'm like, well, they didn't have a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah. I see why. I went broke every time I went there. My God. Yeah. But I could not like, you know, I mean, there's so many beautiful things. I'm, I'm very sad that they're actually closing down. So, but, yeah. um, and you know, that, that actually coming out of horticulture, um, I I have to say that 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 scenario you just described is mm-hmm. unfortunately happening all really? over the country. Oh, that's so sad. It is because the the diversity of plant product available to gardeners is is only getting smaller, and the only way uh. we can and because you know Home Depot is basically most people's garden source now and that's not to bash Home Depot because I sure. shop there a lot but I do too yeah their plant palette is very narrow yes. Yes, and absolutely. you have to you have to almost get in on the like in Seattle. There's all these beautiful uh, botanical gardens that have their own specialty plant sales, and they right, bring in small right. growers. And that's sort of where it's cool stuff to. is. Yeah, that's where cool stuff is ha- is is available now. And it's kind of parallels what happened with the Main Street Flower Shop in a way, mm, right? True. What yeah, you yeah. What you alluded to with the generational change, or like in, in my case, mm-hmm. this amazing 75-year-old nursery uh, went out of business two years ago, and now it's just a stupid parking lot with a giant warehouse. And mm-hmm. it's like real estate was more of, you know, of a profit margin than plants. Right. Um, so wow. It's... That's another p- impact on the cost of flowers too, I think, because farmers can't live near the metro markets where mm. most of the most of the consumption takes place because they can't afford the land, um, that and that has true. to be factored in. Yeah, true, and yes, and competing with um, giants like Home Depot or Lowe's or you know, I mean, yeah, they are very limited, but they again volume trumps yeah quality at this point. I mean, it's just. Yeah, it is. It is kind of that. That's it to hear. I thought this was a very unique thing that just happened here. (laughs) That's Uh, that's, well. I'm glad uh, you got a few mementos to take home from that garden center. I I did. I definitely did. And yeah, but yeah, absolutely. It was kind of. uh, I was absolutely shocked because they're always busy. I've never been there that there is no line to check out. Mm. So it was very surprising Mm. to see that actually. But um, I have to find a new garden now. Yes, you do. (laughs) Well, you know, it kind of makes me think about this this um, issue of of what we're talking about with basically luxury flowers mm-hmm. and couture flowers, <laughs> it really is a subset of the floral trade. And that I, I want to be clear that I know that there's always going to be demand for inexpensive flowers. And that's where, you know, the growth probably is sadly in the floral industry when now half of the flowers sold in the U S are purchased at the grocery store mm-hmm. and 
I just, I feel like that's the wave of convenience and price that a good number of consumers uh, have to uh, you know, live in that space. And so I don't want to sound like an elitist or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not that that's going to always be the backbone of the floral industry. And that's just not where I choose to put my energy and right, my, in right. my efforts is to try to increase the number uh, or increase, I guess, awareness and support for right. people who are growing domestically and offering that as an option to uh, anyone in the floral industry, like you Mm -hmm. were talking about, just back to your comment on the fear factor of florists holding back on maybe saying things to clients like, well, you can't have a peony in January because peonies bloom in May. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, obviously you'd say it in a better way than that, but like there's some, there's sort of this mindset like, well, I don't want to say no to my bride or whatever my bride wants, I'm going to get get for her regardless of mm-hmm. the dis- distance it has to travel like don't you feel like that's sort of the the conundrum uh it is um I, I feel like yes i agree with that um i also do think that there's another part to that they say yes in the expense of actually hurting themselves financially mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. let's face it 90% of florists are not business minded right mm-hmm. um none of us went to business schools and I just feel like there was this this thing about, okay, if I say I want to charge this much or whatever, you know, my bride's going to think that I'm being greedy or whatever. I mean, right. you know, I can get you a peony in, in January from some farm, but it might Chile be 50, $50 a head. Right, If right. you really want that peony, let me see what I can do. But I, but, well... You know what I mean? So it, again, it all comes down to education. But a lot of people are afraid, afraid of yeah having that communication with the clients. Honestly, I would have to say, I've been in that space myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I me personally, as a florist talking to a bride, have been in that place. I think I I lucked out having a job that I didn't have to take every job. So right. if, if it didn't fit my you know my life or my lifestyle. I said no. I said more no's than yeses, which I'm happy about. Um, you know, of course, I lost opportunities as a result as well. But I know a lot of people. But maybe who you say dodged yes a to bullet everything. too. <laughs> yes. Well, that is true. Absolutely. But I do know a lot of people who are saying yes to just about everything. And yeah, I I don't know. I think it's an ongoing conversation. Yeah. And trying. What I'm trying to do, you know, I. I didn't, you'll probably mention this in my bio, but I am affiliated with um, Florist Review Magazine mm-hmm. and I've been contributing editor there for two years. And what I'm trying to do in the Slow Flowers Journal section that I produce every month is right. show show success stories of it people who are intentionally building a business around local, seasonal, and sustainable. Mm-hmm. And rather than getting up on my soapbox and like just browbeating people to feel guilty about, you know, buying uh, those white hydrangeas in January, which I know a lot of people still rely quite a bit on that as part of their business model. Um, I, I don't want to be naive. Of course, the industry relies on things like that. Mm-hmm. But I'm trying to show ideas and examples of florists who are making a success of their business by leading with a philosophy that this is my aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my palette. Uh, this is the flowers that I'm using in season and we're going to make you a beautiful bridal bouquet, mm-hmm. but, but you got to trust me as an artist to do that for you right. using what's available in season. Sure. Some people have been able to pull that off and others are kind of making baby steps towards that. You know, I have to build your portfolio and, and show yeah. examples, yeah. but I feel like, the more I could show those examples of successes with beautiful uh, imagery, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the more people I'll bring into the into the tent rather than trying to persuade them to change with guilt. So right, no, of course. I, I mean, and listen, I love buying local. I love going to farmers markets. I, I enjoy that greatly and love the idea of supporting. Besides the benefits of it, it's much fresher and it's better and all of those things, right? Mm-hmm. I understand all that. At the same time, there are certain products I have to buy that's being shipped from Japan or, I don't know, 
you know, Holland, Holland or whatever, or yep. whatever mm-hmm. that I just absolutely cannot get here. It's just, it's impossible, you know, but yeah, no, I totally agree with you though. There's, there's definitely alternatives to doing a lot of things in the way that supports the local economy and it is much more sustainable for the earth as well. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think the other, the other thing I'm seeing that is so exciting is that more and more florists are starting to grow some of their own flowers. I know you mentioned that you have mostly shade. I guess you could like grow hellebores because, uh, by the way, deer don't eat hellebores. You could have like a bumper crop. (laughs) I have. Yes, I have so many varieties of hellebores that I've planted last year and a lot of them didn't bloom this year most of them bloomed which made me so excited so I spent about $600 on hellebore <laughs> plants already so yes so, so in the future we'll start seeing them in your feed right yes I I'm, I get so excited I have this dark midnight I think it's called New York night you know mm. I've got some that are that kind of dark and I have this you know the um double flower roughly oh they're I I love hillbore but um I'm afraid to harvest any of it right now because they're like all baby plants so but I've got them everywhere yes I have shade and um the other thing I I heard that deer doesn't eat in fact I think it's toxic you'll help me here because you know about this um lily of the valley oh I'm not surprised a lot of bulb flowers uh deer will not eat narcissus all the daffodils right uh are deer they they they, whatever they taste like to deer it's is not it's not not uh, not appealing to them i don't think it's toxic but i make lily valley makes sense i didn't know that but that's that'd be worth trying well i planted it they haven't ate it yet (laughs) it hasn't bloomed yet they haven't ate it yet though and i planted some peonies successfully so far so far it's an an investment because all of those are perennials and they're going to take three years before they really leap and so um just that lead time is painstaking as well and like you know that's probably why people grow dahlias because they can get instant gratification the same year that they Mm -hmm. put that Mm -hmm. tuber in the ground and or or annuals right you can have, have half of your property devoted to those quick producers and then invest in the long-term producers so in your old age you'll just be harvesting beautiful flowers and you won't have to (laughs) garden anymore no no yeah I still got a few years of uh, you know plans of planting certain things that I think deer may not eat although I was told they don't eat mint so I've planted variety of mints like different spots and they ate it they ate all of it and it didn't grow back i mean they they loved it apparently (laughs) yeah well mint it depending on it you're kind of on the edge climate wise too it may not winter over so all right well i have a friend who just did a book for timber press on landscaping deer proof landscaping and when it comes when it comes out i will um uh send you a link to it so you can check and see what she has in that book because i feel like uh, her name is Karen Chapman, and she's uh, based here in Seattle as well. And she's trying to show people that they can have a beautiful garden and not, you know, invest so much money in building a fence. They can just mm-hmm, they can mm-hmm. design design with plants that deer don't like. I don't know. I hope it works, but um, I don't um, have that issue. I wrote it all down, and yes, <laughs> I'll be on the lookout. Let me know, please, because I would absolutely love that. That would I'm be sure, that would be fantastic. Yeah, I'm sure it's. Probably next year. I'll keep you posted. Yes, that would be fantastic. So I do want to ask you about your summit. Yes. Well, the Slow Flowers Summit is um, at the heart of a campaign that I launched five years ago called mm-hmm. Amer- American Flowers Week. Yeah. And both of them occur right around July 4th. I'm not mm-hmm. that imaginative. I have to just go for the obvious. Um, actually, I, I um, just to back up a little bit, if it's okay, I, sure. I'll just tell you that um, American Flowers Week is June 28th through July 4th. So mm-hmm. no matter no matter what day of the week July 4th falls on, that's sort of the culmination. And my inspiration for starting American Flowers Week was um, some people I met in London in 2015 mm-hmm. when I was over there for the Chelsea Flower Show and the the marketing director for the New Covent Garden Flower Market, which is the largest wholesaler in the whole country of UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, she started Brit- British Flowers Week in right. 2015. 2013 and we were just having tea and 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 visiting and I was actually with Jimmy Lore and Jonathan Weber mm-hmm. of Green Center. I don't know if you 
I know those characters. Uh, I am writing them down. <laughs> yeah. J- uh, Jimmy is, um, you know, I think you have a lot of mutual friends, shall we say. Uh, right. He's in the in the chapel designers crowd. And gotcha. he, they were just there on vacation and we met up and they were with me and we were having tea with this woman and she was talking about British Flowers Week and they we all looked at each other and, and Jimmy said, you've got to start American Flowers Week, Deborah. And literally a month later, well, I came home from the Chelsea Flower Show in May and at the end of June, I, I just went for it and started mm-hmm. this social media campaign. So that's, that's available for people to look up on uh, our website, American mm-hmm, flowers week. Mm-hmm. And we do really fabulous things now, um, that are very much, uh, geared around promoting domestic flowers in all 50 States. That sounds fantastic. Now, yeah. is it always at a one location or do you change locations? Oh, well, so what happened was because American flowers week was kind of a, a virtual thing, I decided to create an in-person event that was, uh, more of a get more of an event conference gathering and that's the slow flowers summit that's sorry summit. right i i answer questions in a really long circuitous no, no, no. I, listen <laughs> i really want to know this stuff actually and i guarantee you there are a lot of people who really want to know this stuff as well <laughs> well the, the summit i've mm-hmm. I'd always wanted to do some kind of live in-person mm-hmm, events mm-hmm. and um we started it, I, I started it during American Flowers Week just to kind of be the the one live event during that I could be kind sure. of be part of. Sure. We started it in 2017 in Seattle. In mm-hmm. 2018, we co-located with AIFT in mm-hmm. Washington, D.C., which was a really amazing experience. And I just respect AIFT so much for um, basically supporting me in that. Yeah. And then in 2019, um, I wanted to go to the central part of the country. So I'd been on the West, been on the East. So we're going to um, be in the twin cities in St. Paul, Minnesota for 2019. Um, It's basically started as a one day conference. I call it the Ted talk for flower lovers. Uh Uh, If you've ever gone to one of the Ted talks, it's a lot of ideas in with short presentations um, from a diverse, um, lineup of speakers i been i binge watch them on youtube so. yeah so you know what it's like yeah yes. no yeah it's so funny because last year someone came up to me and said if you really think it's a ted talk you have to cut your length of your presentations down to 22 minutes so i was like oh my god you're so literal <laughs> but wow okay uh, so, yeah we <laughs> usually have we usually have a five five presenters in one day which is sure. a lot and some of them do involve floral design oh. demos so that takes mm-hmm. up more time mm-hmm. um now, this year, the summit for the third year is happening um, July 1st and 2nd, mm-hmm. and uh, the second day has just been just organically evolved. Like, you know, if I sort of became clear to me that if people are going to travel any distance to come for a one-day right. conference, I'd like to offer them some other um, programming op- opportunities before or after. So sure. actually, we have it spilling over into the Sunday before the summit, we're having um, two flower farmers in Minnesota are opening their farms for, for guided, you know, self-guided tours. We're having, we're having a farm to table dinner at one of the farms uh, as optional on the night before the summit. And then we're going to the second day, we're going to basically visit um, one of our partners in St. Paul, which is the twin cities flower exchange, which is a new wholesaler. That's well, relatively new three years old. Mm -hmm. That is, selling exclusively Minnesota grown product to the florist to professional florists. Oh, wow. So yeah. So the topics are very much, uh, kind of in the sustainable space, um, be it, uh, business focused, um, growing focused and design focused, but our primary attendee and the, the programming really is geared toward the, the sustainably minded progressive florist who is trying to adopt and embrace the slow flowers practices. Right. So we'll have about 150 people and um, I'm just, I'm already planning for 2020. So we'll be back on the West Coast in 2020. West Coast. Okay. Uh, but the dates are still going to be in July. Uh, it's I'm always, it's, it's always, always that, yeah, gotcha. it's always that week leading up to July 4th. And I know for you being in, in AIFD, that's a problem. And I apologize. <laughs> well, it's not even an AIFD problem for me. Um, actually, um, that's the week that my husband goes to Dominican to do charity dentistry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm actually a dentist from Armenia myself. So this year is the first year I'm going to Dominican to do charity dentistry. So I'm extremely excited about it. Oh, oh that's so wonderful. So what I'm going to, yeah. So yeah, I'm gonna miss part of AIFD actually. I'm getting inducted this year. <laughs> I'm coming right. in. I, I think I'm missing like the first 
day first two days i think or the first right. day I'm not sure how the days kind of fall out but if the dominican trip it, that always happens over fourth of july too so i have to kind of pick and choose pick and choose yeah. maybe i can like split and share you know do <laughs> flower one year you know dentistry well i another. know <laughs> well you know it's there's never there's always going to be competition for people's money and time and oh, i i was i've now that I'm in my third year with the summit. I feel like, uh, I've, I've kind of listened to myself and listened to my, my, my gut, I guess to say, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. my brand is American flowers week. That is, I'm not going to move the summit to January just because people want to go to California in the winter or something like that. I've just got to stick with this, this space and, uh, it won't be for everybody every year, but, um, moving it around the country also helps me right. get, get to regions where it might be more affordable for the, the local, uh, crowd to right. attend. Well, like and, we, it's, and it's country's birthday. There you go. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> just to go back to that thing about saying how unimaginative I am, well, coming from the media, I am, you know, I can take pot shots at the media because I'm part of it. Right. The media it needs it to be super obvious and super literal. And so yeah. if I'm going to, tell people to post photos of their red, white, and blue flowers and use, use the hashtag American flowers week that allows me to collect this like groundswell of participation, which is free for anybody. You don't even have to be a member of slow flowers to do mm -hmm, this. Mm -hmm. And then, then demonstrate that this is a kind of a fun way to promote awareness of domestic flower farming and right. florists who are sourcing domestically. Right. It's kind of gotten out of control because now we're doing, you know, commissioning fashion looks that are head to toe, you know, floral garments and mm -hmm. photographing those and publishing them in florist review in the June issue. And I mean, nice. it's out of control, but you know, it started <laughs> out as a very simple idea. <laughs> But I feel like it's a good out of control. This is this is this is the kind of out of control you want. <laughs> it's it is, and I, I the the idea of having w models wearing garments made out of flowers. It's not yeah. original. I I can't say that that was ever my idea because there's so much great botanical couture happening. Mm -hmm. But I I'm trying to partner a, a florist with a flower farmer and often a um, kind of a singular flower crop mm -hmm. and create uh, something that will capture people's imagination about a lowly sunflower or a generic Gerbera, but seeing it reimagined re as fashion, mm -hmm. uh, you know, mm -hmm. that is got a story about it because mm -hmm. of who grew it. It kind of gives us another thing to share with the, with the public. Yes. No, I like it. And fashion definitely has a very warm spot in my heart so yes, i can't wait to <laughs> maybe, see this maybe you'll have maybe you'll get to create one for us in the future Ooh, i would love that nothing excites me more than actually floral fashion <laughs> well talk talk about uh, it when you go, go on your farm visits see if you can you do some brainstorming. oh I, I got yeah i gotta talk to the girls there to see if they want to <laughs> do this that would be that would be very exciting so deborah this was this is absolutely fantastic. I feel like we need some sort of a like follow up thing to happen after this, after your event happens. And oh, who knows, maybe next year I'll make it into um into the summit. I could do this 2018. I, I thought about doing it, but I was testing and I had so much going on that I could not possibly physically make it in. But I was so sad that I didn't. Oh, well, you know what? I'm surprised we didn't get to meet in D.C. We actually met at the World Cup at the Philadelphia we Flower did. Show. Yes. I'm, so, I'm so grateful that we just happened to be at the same table having a very bad late night dinner with Sue and oh Holly. Oh my God. So. Yes. Hard rock cafe. I think. Is that what it was? <laughs> yes. uh, but it was, it was, I'm really delighted that to have met you and I, oh my I'm God, me too. excited for all the things you have uh, going on and congratulations on being inducted this Aww. year. That is, that is not, not one of my bucket lists, but I admire it from afar oh, for thank sure. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It's been on my bucket list for quite a while. I had to build up the courage for you know going and putting myself out there. Well, um, it gives you it gives you so much credibility and, God, yes. and and a platform now. And mm -hmm, the pod mm -hmm. having the podcast, uh, it's kind of that you're curating the topics that you want to hear people yeah. talk about. Yeah. Um, will really benefit the profession. Well. Thank you. And like I said, I was I was so excited to have met you in person. And you're an absolute pleasure to hang out with, actually. You really, Thanks. truly are. And I'm not saying that. I walked away. I'm like, oh, this was like, you know, 
breath of fresh air. <laughs> I felt the same way about, I love it when flower people can get to, you know, meet oh. each other's friends and uh, realize yes. that we, we're a big community. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Deborah. And if you can also quickly share where people can find you, you know. Uh, absolutely. Well, um, I have, I'm a little crazy. I have five or six websites, so I will. <laughs> no worries. I'll put them all in the notes. Well, I, we finally gathered them under one, one, URL. And okay. so I would suggest people visit slowflowerssociety.com. Okay. And Slowflower Society is kind of a portal for all all the activities and content and community and, um, you know, from blogs to podcasts to magazines mm-hmm. to uh, the the events and the conference. So that's a good place to go. And then on, on Instagram, I'm at myslowflowers, M-Y-slowflowers. And that's just one of those things with internet where you or Instagram where you you get what you can make work (laughs) so that's where I am all right so slowflowersociety.com that's where everything is and on Instagram my slow flowers thank you so much that's absolutely right yeah thank you Deborah and have a good one thanks so much Anahit bye well it's a wrap thank you everyone for listening for tuning in to Viva La Flora Live podcast We'll see you next week.